Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Well College Podcast, where we want to provide tools to help our college students be spiritually formed. So tune in as we dive into today's episode, where we're trying to make sense of such a crazy time. Thanks for tuning in. Cool. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode for um, today. Uh, this is technically, I don't even know, sixth, seventh, eighth uh, time that we have a uh, guest speaker. Uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of uh, time here uh, for him to introduce himself. But um, this is Elsie um, Alexander. Actually, Elsie, what's what does LC stand for? Uh, stands for Lucky Charm. Yes. <laughs> I dude, I legit don't know this. I feel like all the time that I've yeah. known you, it's just a lot of people don't. It uh, it stands for Lawrence Chrisman. Okay, awesome, yeah. Mr. Lawrence over here. Um, so he's just a dude that has been at the well for a long time. We've known each other since college. I mean, you graduated in 2014, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. you're you're a year older. Right. You're 28. 29. 29. Yeah. He is the right person for us to have in our podcast, especially in this time just for him to make uh, a lot of sense of what's going on and and also for us to learn uh, to listen and to have a posture and hear those who uh, perhaps don't necessarily have um, a lot of voice in this time. So, LC, dude, uh, the format over here, uh, or, or more like, let me start with this. Okay. The heart behind um, having, first off, speakers over here is to be able to bring real-life experience into uh, you should say a lot of college students who just graduated high school or perhaps are about to transition into the working world. So the question that we're ultimately asking is, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus after college? And how can we start training and equipping our college students to enter into that world with a lot of tools that are applicable and practical and all these different things? So with that said, um, I just wanted to um, invite you to come over here and just tell us a little bit about what does it look like? How does this relate to the kingdom of God? Because um, essentially, this is not a thing that, uh, that is only left for for you know the political world that, that we see in, uh, but rather this has a lot to do with being a disciple of Jesus, and that's kind of what why we're just choosing to address it in the way that we're going about it. So, dude, thank you so much for yeah, being here. For sure. Seriously, you're amazing. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So yeah. I'm I'm married to my wife Kaylee, um, and we just had our daughter um, last. Oh my gosh, we had <laughs> I'm so fast. <laughs> yeah, we got, we had her uh, July 27, 2019, and yeah, so her birthday's coming up like hey. really soon, which is crazy. Uh, her name is Holland, and uh, yeah. How many kids do you think uh, you're gonna have, dude? Or how many would you like to have? What about that? Oh, uh, man. Uh, like three or four. Dude, you're, you're just a kid guy. I feel like... Uh, I am, but that don't mean I want... <laughs> that doesn't mean I want a whole bunch of them, no. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, three or four probably. Dude. Four is probably pushing it, honestly. But. That's fair. How many, uh, how many siblings do you have? Uh, oh, man. I have uh, four. Four siblings. Four? I have... A whole, I have Three older sisters and a younger brother. Every time somebody asks me, I feel like the default is just to go with the family that you have. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're like, you know, the Sheets family in town and you have, (laughs) (laughs) you know, nine siblings and you're like, what the heck, man? Right, right. Shout out to you and the Sheets. (laughs) They're awesome. Um, 
so yeah, I was born in Austin, Texas. Um, my mom was a guidance counselor. My dad was a police officer. Um, we, uh, we, I mean, we pretty much grew up in a in a white neighborhood. So I say Round Rock, or I say Austin. We were I was born in Austin, but we were I actually grew up in a suburb of Austin called Round Rock. See, that's where Tyler. Yeah, that's Tyler where Tyler. Yeah, from. yeah, yeah. That's where he came from. That's so, crazy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was born and raised. So. Cool to connect those dots. Yeah. I had no clue, but awesome. Yeah, so that's where I was raised. Um, it was a unique experience. I mean, I was the only black kid in my class um, until fifth grade. So I was eleven years old before mm-hmm. there was anybody else in my class that looked like me. Um, however, I did have friends that were Asian. Um, I had friends who were like first generation uh, from Africa. Uh, cool. Yeah. Um, I had friends from uh, the Middle East, Iran, and Iraq. Actually, one of my best friends was from Iraq. So, I mean, I had, we had diversity, but we just adapted. And no one ever thought about being unique and different in their own way because there was a standard that we felt like we wanted to live by because that's what was taught to us that was that was the mark that was the metric that was the example so that's mm-hmm. how we that's how we lived our lives but man it was different being at acu because um i was around a lot of african americans who didn't grow up the way that i did mm-hmm. so it was you know we had inter- interesting conversations and uh but still there was a heavy aspect of I have my white friends over here and then i have my black friends over here Mm-hmm. And so existing in that world was like way more challenging than where I grew up. But I just I just dealt with it and then obviously graduated. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, as an adult, uh, I'm still in that tension. Like I still balance that mm-hmm. every single day, you know? Yep. Um, Dude, what yeah. about... Cool. So uh, prior to this, I sent you a couple of questions yeah. that, you know, super chill. Uh, no need to go through all of them, but mm. um, I just wanted to go through them and ask you and, you know, what's your perspective on this stuff and, right. and just kind of hear you out. So um, the first question that I have over here is, dude, have you ever experienced or as I wrote over here, what is one of the most beautiful moments of racial reconciliation you've ever experienced in yeah. your life? Yeah. Has there been any? Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's been uh, a handful, um, and and the one that I'm going to share is pr- actually pretty unique because it happened when I was in college. Um, we went to a mission trip in Dallas uh, back in 2013, and we kind of went to a park and set up, you know, like games and stuff. For and we went knocking on doors and saying, "Hey, you know, we're going to be at the park at 4:30. We'd love to have you out." So. We were just kind of out there. I was kind of hanging out. Um, it was like late in the day. Um, I was kind of tired. So, I I mean, I'm confessing this. I didn't really feel like <laughs> preaching the gospel. But, you know, we were there. I was out there. And uh, we saw two guys and this lady come up. And they were just kind of curious to see, like, what was going on. But they were very standoffish. So, I was like, man, I'm just going to go over there and, you know, talk to them. And see what's up. Yeah, just, yeah, just see what's up. So, we went over and uh, I had a friend with me and he talked to the to the guy and the girl. I think they were like married. And then the other guy was just kind of standing there. So he was talking to that couple and I was, you know, I approached the other guy. 
and you know it's it's outreach so it's it's kind of awkward at first you know you're like oh super you know, awkward we're out here talking about jesus like <laughs> so he's just you know he's like okay you know um but we kind of get past the the you know the the small talk and we finally start talking about like you know hey like this is the gospel you know you know you have a relationship with christ what do you know different things like that and i mean look up and it was like 30 minutes had gone by and we're just talking you know now, keep in mind, the whole time I'm talking to this dude, the pastor that we were partnering with, I guess he knew something about them or, you know, they're in the neighborhood. So I guess he kind of knew about their stories or whatever. I don't think they're part of his church, though. But anyways, he's standing on the other side of the parking lot. And he's kind of looking at us like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, he was con concerned. And so I was like, maybe he's never seen outreach like this before. That's what I'm thinking in my head. So anyways... I'm not going to try to get on here and flex and say I led, led him to the Lord because I didn't. But <laughs> I prayed for him. And, you know, I, you know, I said, you know, God loves you and different stuff like that. He was like super standoffish and like awkward that whole conversation. Oh. But anyways, he walks away. And uh, but he was nice, though. He wasn't like me. He walks away and the pastor like awkwardly comes up to me. and was like, hey, how, how'd that conversation go? And I kind of laughed because I was like, yeah, I mean, it was awkward. You know, he didn't really want to talk or whatever. And he was like, well, did he did he share with you, like, any particular details? And I was like, I mean, he, he said he was in prison not too long ago for drugs and, you know, use and things like that. He was like, oh, that's all he said. I was like, yeah, I mean, there, I don't. Like I was pretty much looking. I'm like, what are you? Yeah, there at? was there was some background there that you didn't know about. Yeah, but for sure. he definitely. Yeah, he, he definitely knew about mm -hmm. it. And so he said, did you know that both of those men? Uh, you should be like heavy participating members of the clan, and I'm like the Ku Klux, like the Klu the Ku Klux Klan. He's like, yeah, like they were they were clan members, uh, like not too long ago, and uh, I was like, are they still practicing? He was like, dude, I I don't know, yeah. But he said, um, from from what I from what I just witnessed, like that was probably one of the most incredible things I've ever seen because I've never seen him be so open to African Americans, mm -hmm. and like my heart started racing because. His friend was looking at me with disgust. Like his friend was not feeling our conversation at all, um, and it, it all all of it made a lot of sense. But I don't know if I don't know if I don't know if you could classify that as as reconciliation because he didn't approach it with that intention. Mm -hmm. But it was still cool that the gospel was able to reach this man's heart, you know, through an African American yeah. male and still. Like, even with the hate in his heart, he still heard, like, dude, even with that, God still, like, loves you, and he wants to take that off for you. Even though we didn't talk about that, he still heard, like, there's salvation and redemption from from the exactly. Lord, you know? And which was, like, the coolest thing dude. I had ever experienced in, like, all of this stuff. Dude, so, what I love about that story is if you, if you would have known yeah. that those two guys were part of the clan... Right. You probably would have not no. approached them. Heck no. Oh, there's no way I would have. <laughs> yes. There's no way I would have. Which is so crazy to me because that just, in a lot of ways, attests that. Uh, for, first off, it attests that the spirit, right? Right. That the, the Trinity mm -hmm. is concerned with bringing reconciliation to our world. Right. Which is already. The fact that that conversation started in the mind of God. Right. Yeah. Right. Because that's just how it was orchestrated. Mm -hmm. You you didn't know. If you would have known, you probably wouldn't have gone. But that says a lot about how we ought to walk as believers, right? right. Because you're like, 
Lord, I'm I'm yeah. gonna choose to obey, and I'm gonna choose to obey what is true. Here, let's go. What was the What was the? Do you have another one that that comes to mind? Or? Um, yeah, actually, uh, shout out, shout out, Jr. Man, uh, I was um, previously just going through a lot of things spiritual, spiritual, spiritual wise, and man, I was just I just had a lot of church hurt and confusion, and dude, I had no idea. Um, and this is like super vulnerable, man. But I was like questioning my faith, like if I was even a Christian because of how much like church hurt that I was going through. And so my wife and I weren't married yet, but um, we were obviously we were engaged and uh, I just didn't want to go to church. And I hadn't for like weeks at a time. And then finally she got to the point where she was like, this isn't going to work. Like we got to go somewhere. And so um, I had a friend who was uh, working at the well at the time and uh, she was like, well, why don't we just go, you know, worship over there? And so I was like, all right, fine, you know, whatever. And so we go, and, like, my heart is, like, cold. Like, I I didn't want to be at church. <laughs> and so that Sunday, Jr. talked about, like, his sermon. I don't know if it was, like, it was the same weekend as, like, MLK, uh, MLK Day. Mm-hmm. And so he preached on it, and it was the most, like, profound MLK sermon that I had heard from a from a white pastor heard several great ones from african-american pastors but it was probably one of the most profound ones that i heard from a from a white pastor and for me i was like man like that that was really good and so i went up to him and introduced myself and he was just super intentional and like he just wanted to take me out to lunch and just talk to me like dude like what's your story what's your life and he just heard me out and i think uh, it, it led to the fact that i had been through a lot of church hurt a lot of it was because of, you know, I was a black, I was a minority in the church and I just felt like there was a disconnection there. And the timing of it was very um, divine because he was able to speak as a white pastor into some of those areas of like, and not just like Jesus loves you and we want you to come to our church, but like really like um, almost apologizing and giving me resources and different things like that to listen to and talk and read to heal a lot of those portions of my heart and it really just discipling me back to a place where I feel like I can plug in again. And so um, I would say that that was another, you know, moment where mm-hmm. racial reconciliation was like, you know, very powerful yeah. in my life. Dave, awesome. So Love that. Dave, well, thanks for thanks for sharing those stories. And you're yeah. at JR's uh, GC, right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yep. Which I love that too because... Yeah. You know, it's usually something that I've been thinking a lot about this is um, that racial reconciliation is not perhaps one a moment thing right. yeah. where it just all clicks, yeah. but rather it's it's a process. Right. So in a lot of ways, even uh, like, for, for example, throughout this time, I've been really reflective about like, man, how does this play out in my life? Do mm-hmm. I do I carry forth with me some sort of like judgments or, mm-hmm. you know, certain tendencies, whatever? And what I love about that is that if it's a process, then that means that it's about life. Mm-hmm. And it's about sitting and listening to other people and who perhaps have had different experiences or whatever else. And, and that usually happens with life to life. It doesn't happen in, mm-hmm. in a moment. So even for all the people who are listening, if you suddenly start realizing that there's some certain you know prejudices or uh, you know resentment, ideas, whatever it is that you want to call it towards other people that look different than you, whether that's social class or whatever else, uh, that, that it it's one step. Mm-hmm. Start with one step. Yeah, right. One step, it's all it takes. Mm-hmm. That's good. 
Dude, um, here's a question that I wanted to ask you, uh, and it's this. What kind of conversations um, do you think you're going to have to have with your kids that we don't have to have with ours? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of neighborhood my family is going to grow up in. Like, I pray that Holland is able to grow up and all of my other kids in the future um, are, I hope they're able to grow up in a culture that's extremely diverse where there's several kids that look like them. Mm. However, if we end up in neighborhoods, and I'm just going to call it like it is, you know, if we end up in a black neighborhood or a white neighborhood, like, that's a real thing, you know, um, she's going to be an outcast. Like, she's going to be different than everybody else. And so, um, it's, dude, this is a hard question. And I, I even, I get, even get a little emotional just talking about it because one of my biggest fears is that, you know, she's going to be, uh, cornered by a, a identity racking question on the playground, mm-hmm. which is like, why does your hair look different than everybody else's hair? Or why are your parents different colors? Or, um, and, and to be honest, man, like being a minority growing up in, in a majority white neighborhood, man, I, I got hit with those questions. And I remember being ignorant to them and not really seeing the hurtfulness in it because I didn't have the education to know that those were hurtful questions. But I remember bringing it to my parents and them being livid, dude, like ticked off. Um, and we just had real conversations. And so, um, man, I think it's funny because Kaylee and I were actually talking about this last night. Like she's got to know like her identity um, is in Christ and that she is like, she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like Christ calls her beautiful and Christ says that she's beautiful and that she's fearfully and wonderfully made regardless of the culture that she's in and regardless if she's the only one who looks the way that she does. Mm -hmm. She's beautiful and God knew her before time and he knew that she was going to be a mixed baby. He knew that she was going to have a a white mom and a black dad. And his his story is intertwined. His story is in, in, is in her heart and she is going to be raised to, to know that. And, and if I have a son, those conversations will be different too. Like how you handle authority is really important because a lot of the time people think that African-Americans are more aggressive and we're angry and we're just constantly looking for the best opportunity to be aggressive. Be conscious of that. Like mm-hmm. when you're interacting with law enforcement and authority, like be be conscious of that. Talk to your grandfather. He's a he's an ex-police officer. Like listen to what he's telling you because these these situations are very real. So, are those yeah. conversations that your dad had with you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, how yeah, did those yeah. conversations horrible. look like? <laughs> because uh, they went horrible. Because at the time, like I said, I, I was the only black kid, so I didn't see, um, the, I didn't see a lot of that happening um, with me. There's actually a, this is an interesting resource, but there's a uh, episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It's like season one, I think. <laughs> and Carlton and Will, they get pulled over by the police officers uh-huh. and they get thrown in jail. And uh, they go back to the mansion or whatever. And uh, Carlton is so confused as to like why Will is so ticked off that they were detained for hours for not doing anything. He's like, they're just doing their jobs. Like, I don't understand. And so my, and 
uh, Will was just like, dude, like they detained us because we're black. He's like, no way. Like that never happens in Bel Air. And he's like, you're so detached from reality, dude. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. But that, that was me, man. Like, I hate to say that, but it, that was me. And I think not because I was ignorant to like what was happening in the world, just because I live with a cop. My mom wouldn't let me leave the house sometimes at like certain times because and I'm like, I just want to go get some Skittles, man. Like, I just want to go to the gas station real quick or whatever. And she wouldn't let me go. Um, and so it was confusing until like I got to college and a lot of stuff started revving back up. And I was like, okay, like. Do you remember whenever those, uh, the first couple of times wherever those dots started connecting? Yeah. In college? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When uh, do you, I mean, this is totally in the fly. I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah. asking no, you uh, about your experience. Yeah, but. I remember. Um, it's funny because I had just graduated uh, college. My, the last conversation I've had with my parents when I was like under their authority, I had just graduated and I was going on this tour with a couple of friends. Beaudry was on that tour, mm -hmm. a couple other people. Josh Bonet was on that tour. And uh, we went to different places in Texas. And I remember I got to my house late at night and I was gonna drive my car from Austin to Abilene at like 9.30 at night. So it was a late night, gonna be driving on these back roads. And my mom was like, I don't want you to go. And I'm like, well, that's too bad. Like I just graduated, I'm, I'm going, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and so she's like, I don't want you to go because and she wasn't, I'm saying this nicely, but she was like, you are not gonna go. Like, I don't want you to yeah, go. Yeah. And eventually she realized he's a grown man. He's going to make his own decisions. And she just kind of came out with it. And it was just like, uh, I don't want my black son driving to Abilene late at night. Like, you need to be careful. I know you're going to go, but you need to be careful. And I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. I went through primary school, secondary school, and college. And I knew there was, like, racial tension. I knew it. I mean, I've... I've felt it and dealt with it before but I think it was it was in that moment where like I saw myself being put into the bigger picture of the situation I think my parents didn't talk about it often they just kind of waited till like somebody at school said something or something like this happened and I you know as a parent you do the best you can but I wish that we would have had more conversations about it because I think if we had I would have been more aware more prepared yeah you know to to handle those conversations but dude absolutely well and that's kind of all these protests and stuff are just indicative mm -hmm. of those conversations not actually happening Taking place yeah right dude and that's where your experience is also validated mm -hmm. like there's a reason why like you are african-american mm -hmm. uh or i mean I you're black right right yeah and uh and those conversations not happening in your home that probably means something mm -hmm. like why why mm -hmm. i would be really interested in asking your yeah your parents like why mm -hmm. um, why just that doesn't doesn't happen and do for example i've had thomas told me that he had never you know last episode we were talking and he said that in school he never learned about redlining mm. but you know part of like history whatever right. else like that's yeah. not part of it too right and, yeah and you know like june 19th mm -hmm. being another big holiday right. um I was actually wanting to ask you about that if you were mm -hmm. doing something with your family or, yeah. or something fun like uh, celebrated. But those those are things that mm -hmm. you know you just don't talk about. Yeah, um, absolutely. I've never heard of it. Never, I never heard of uh, Harriet. Mm. Those are those are really important conversations, mm -hmm. especially right now, dude. So, um, speaking of this, this is actually really interesting. You said that your dad 
is um, or was he's retired, mm -hmm. a police officer, right? Uh, which means probably your experience with uh, police are different than a lot of you know yeah. inner city kind of yeah. African Americans. But um, dude, what would you like if you had the opportunity right now? You know this, mm -hmm. the times are crazy. Yeah. Right? Um, just with all the stuff that's happening with the police and and and, and there there's truth to this that. That that kind of attitude is yeah. is projected in, into a lot of police officers, and that's true. Like, there's plenty of videos to prove that. Right, right, right. But there's also a lot of police officers who are kind of just bystanders in Absolutely. this, who are really good people. Absolutely. I'm assuming your dad is an incredible, right. you know, yeah. man of God. Absolutely. So, um, what would you like to say to our police force or other police officers yeah. uh, out there, if you, if, if you had the chance, right? Yeah, and I, and I think you just said it. I think the, the idea right now going around is that police officers are not doing their jobs. Like we're not being protected by police officers. And that is very true in a lot of communities. Like that's very true. Um, but I think, you know, it's not all of them are evil or have bad intention. Um, but so I'll give you a little background uh, now. Uh, my father is actually a uh, uh, police department consultant. So he'll go around, he'll train other police departments about like de-escalation um, going into black communities and what that looks like. Um, and I talked to him after the George Floyd thing and I said, you know, how, like, how is, how are things happening right now? And he said, business is booming because police departments are trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so he's, he's training like darn near every week, but he told me, uh, you know, there's a lot of police officers who are indeed racist. Um, there is, there is a, in a lot of counties, in a lot of states, you know, police departments are heavily tied to 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 clan activity, you know, and my dad was saying our goal is to change hearts. Because if you are putting on a badge, you have to change your heart. You mm -hmm. have to see these citizens as human beings. And if you don't see them as human beings, these things are gonna to continue to happen. So that was a hard conversation to hear because you don't wanna hear that. Like you don't wanna hear that people would sign up to serve and protect, but the reality is not, that's not what their actual goals are a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. and it comes so, with a lot of, it's basically a batch on on power yeah. and, and basically being able to get away with exercising right, authority. Right, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And so he even sat down, and I don't, I don't know how, how many people know this, but police departments actually started as um, they were just kind of like rangers who would go and uh, bring slaves back to the plantation. So like if slaves ran, they would go and bring them back. So that's actually like where police departments actually started. So if you look at the DNA of police departments, it's not a, it's, it's not a clean, it's not a clean slate. Um, and so he's saying like now in 2020, there's a lot of that that you're having to weed out. A lot of, I don't even think a lot of cops when they get into the profession even know that. So, um, you know, I, I even went through some police training back in 2014. That's right. I forgot that you yeah, wanted to be. A, okay. Yeah, I okay. I forgot that. Point. And, you know, we didn't talk about that. Like, that wasn't a part of the, we didn't take police department history one-on-one. Like, we just, you know, we, we started straight with the law. And we looked at Abilene and, you know, certain areas that have, you know, more crime and different things like that. And so, you, yeah, it's, it's, but I say all that to say, um, what I would say to police officers is, one, we know that it's not the police departments out of the problem. Instead, it's just it's it's human beings who 
um, aren't a lot of the time being uh, rehabilitated. <clears throat> a lot of police officers struggle with PTSD, man. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just get into a shootout and then the next hour you're patrolling again, like without dealing with that. And then you go home and lay with your family. Like a lot of them need rehabilitation from that. But then obviously if there's police police officers who are struggling with prejudice and bias and things like that, it's like, man, it's just like, see people for who they are. And that's, that's so like cliche and like surface level, but I mean that to the deepest, you know, to I mean to speak to that to the deepest form as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Like really, really, really see people for who they are because we are in a unique time at, as human beings. Mm-hmm. And we can't afford, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And we can't afford as humans for, for anyone to carry that type of resentment in their heart. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's rocky. However, it's not all of them. Mm-hmm. I've heard this, like, um, I don't know if it's an argument, but I've heard this argument for a, a lot of people who, who kind of deny that all of this is actually happening, where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, well, not all of them are that way. Mm-hmm. So it's just a bad apple. Right. It's not, quote unquote, the way that people, you yeah. know, this buzzword, systemic, right? Which just right. means that it's ingrained in the systems right. yeah. that we've set in yeah. place, yeah. right? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, one thing I would say is that, man, if it's a bad apple, well, we can't afford, we can't, we can't, that's not a profession where you can afford, afford any bad apples. Mm-hmm. Like, like, that's like, you, you just can't afford it. Like, you cannot afford when you're dealing with human human lives in general you cannot afford bad apples like i'm a teacher and we're with kids all day um we can't afford any bad apples because the kid's life is in jeopardy and i don't feel like that's a debatable conversation like people understand the value of students they understand the value of education but for some reason like just because we're like just because you're a cop like you and my dad told me like his first few years he felt like a god Cause he was in that uniform and naturally walking into a, a restaurant or wherever, like people are going to command, like he's going to command people's attention. But when you only have a couple of months of training, you only need a high school diploma. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm not saying that the training is, is easy or, or that high school diploma means nothing, but every other profession, actually, even to be a teacher, like you have to have a college, you have to go through intensive training to be in that position. So, mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense for um, that not to be some, uh, the same prerequisites for a law enforcement mm-hmm. officer who is on the front lines of protecting everyday citizens. Mm-hmm. That that's to me, it creates an environment for people to um, kind of come in and slip in, and just because they have a clean background history doesn't mean that you're checking their heart. Like, well, well and, and that's why that's why. The gospel is incredibly important in right. this conversation because right. I feel like we keep on asking these mm. questions. Okay, what yeah, sort good. of system yeah. do we need to play, put in place for this to change? And the reality of it is it won't. Yeah, um, It won't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the, the relevance of the gospel in the fact that you know Jesus comes forth to earth as a promised Messiah in the Old Testament to live and fulfill the law so that he dies mm. in obedience to the Father. And in dying, uh, he carries us with him yeah. so that in his resurrection, he also carries us with him into a new life, into a new community, right. into a new people. Mm. And that people is not separated by 
by race. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a people that is actually identified by their inner transformation in the in the you should say that being possessed by the Holy Spirit right. for what end? Right. Right? To proclaim the fact that the Father is in the business of restoring right. mm-hmm. all these things that are also embedded in our systems mm-hmm. because our systems are set up by people yeah, who are broken and sinful. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, uh, the gospel is a proclamation that we do have a precedent and mm-hmm. we do have a king that rules justly and his name is Jesus. Right. And we, as the people of God who fall under that reign, are to act in ways that reflect those values right. in the same way that if you go, you know, if you're an ambassador and you go to, I don't know, Europe, you're representing right. what America is. Well, yes. in the same way, whenever we walk into whatever scenario we're in, we represent the kingdom of God. Right. Whether you work in McDonald's or you work at ACU or you work at HSU or McMurray or you're a police officer or not. So there's an aspect of accountability here. And that's been the hardest part about all this is mm. in my mind, I'm like, how do we move forward? Right. How do we move forward? Because I, I, I legit just don't know. Yeah. Partly, I'm so ignorant of this. And second, um, what I think I'm starting to realize just in my own personal life, and I think a lot of people have highlighted this, is that it goes very deep, mm. way deeper than we can dig, mm. both in history and also in kind of like what it means to be a human being, being right. broken and sinful. So yeah. the question is, how do we move forward? And and here the church has right. a commission that is actually, you know, you're, you're just, I think it adds so much importance to what we do and who we are as the people of God. Right. And the fact that we should probably start with us. Mm-hmm. Because a system, politics, government, mm-hmm. whatever, cannot fix right. your broken heart. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter how many laws you set in, in place. Uh, even though that's helpful and that's important. That's the other side of the conversation. But uh, that's helpful and that's important, but it should start with us. We have a call to be accountable to represent Jesus wherever we go. So even if you you have racist tendencies, Mm -hmm. start there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just being like, why do I demean people? Why do I... I I don't know. I I don't think that reflects who Jesus is to the world. Right. Um, So that's that's just a sorry. That was another rant. No, that uh, was good, man. But um, but it's the importance and the relevance of the gospel in this time. Yeah. In this crazy time. Yeah. Um, I like what uh what Denzel Washington said. I'm quoting a lot of actors right now. (laughs) Brad Pitt. Yeah. Get abs. Never mind. (laughs) It's a joke. I like what what Denzel said, man. He said, uh, "You cannot legislate love." Like you can't legislate it. Like like you said, like it's really important to have laws because we need we need laws to protect us. Like laws are important, but you can't it's not gonna change a person's heart. Like legislating a law isn't gonna oh man, like I I care now because that law is in place, I care now. It's like that's look at the Pharisees were really good at The law does bring you to awareness. Yeah. Which it is does. a great thing about this time. Right. Yeah, it yeah. does. You know, but what to take it even further, it's like the kingdom like allows you to your heart to value that law. Not just not just have awareness, but like, okay, like this is why that's in place though. Cause there's a lot of people I tell my students, like, sit down. That's a law in my classroom. They don't they don't understand why they have to sit. I don't care about that law. That's not a heart thing for a lot of them. Yeah. But we need that because that's structure and that gets in the way of like what you need to learn. Anyways, I just I just feel like I love that. I love that statement, and in the process of all this, I've just I've quoted it to myself like daily. Like, 
you can't legislate you can't legislate love in other words like we need the kingdom we need the church to like step up right now because there's a lot of people pushing for things as far as like black lives matter is concerned there might be some things that we don't align with with that but we're able to through the scope of the of the gospel yes you know what i'm saying like I know what people you're are saying. very hesitant to value what's happening right now because they're looking at everything from a political standpoint okay let's 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 shelf that for a second and let's look at people like we can minister to the homosexuals we can minister to the racist we can minister to all these things but let's see these people as people first like politics can't come first like human beings got to come first mm -hmm. and right now we're just saying three words black lives matter mm -hmm. like that's it you know mm -hmm. let's start there well i don't i don't i don't know because they have a lgbtq affiliation mm -hmm. holy you know black lives still matter it doesn't it doesn't mean that you don't say i don't care about black lives because they're also a homosexual agenda so that does that mean that black lives don't matter now because mm -hmm. they have a homosexual agenda homosexual lives matter too and in a lot of ways, yeah. what I've noticed with all this thing, and you brought it up, right, that in a lot of ways, uh, Black, Life, Black, Life, Black Lives Matter is kind of like this statement that then gets translated to minorities. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, minorities has to do with also immigration. Well, and immigration has to do with, you know, uh, policies and policies have to do with politics. And so, boom, all this blows up. And then suddenly you have people who are unable to meet in the middle mm -hmm. with things like black lives matter because black people are made in the image of God. Right. Homosexual lives matter because they're made in the image of God. Exactly. And let's meet in the middle middle and we can have a conversation and we can, you know, at least you know, not get polarized as right. it is because, you know, in, in a lot of ways we have elections coming up. Mm -hmm. So on That's the right, right, Donald Trump's using this for his favor, and on the left, Joe Biden's using this in mm -hmm. his favor, because again, it's it's all in the in this kind of pursuit of this position. But that's not the way of the kingdom. Right. The way of the kingdom is for us to meet in the middle, mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't. This is another thing, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that you get to compromise. Mm -hmm. um, although, in a lot of points, you probably should, mm -hmm. especially racism. There's yeah. not an inch. That you can fit into scripture about racism even within the old testament right uh the old testament you know there's a lot of laws and here we're getting into yeah. a lot of like nitty-gritty yeah, but right. in the old testament there's a lot of like the forbiddance of uh interracial yep. marriages mm -hmm. but those have to do with ideologies mm -hmm. so it's the same statement that paul is making when he says do not marry somebody or do not get unequally, unequally yoked, yoked right uh, because their interests are different yeah. there so it's not Come necessarily on. about a white guy not marrying a black girl yeah. or vice versa right, right. Um, it's about a christian not marrying a non-christian so there's a lot of room i think here uh for people to in in a way that it's not i don't think it's legit justify you know this kind of like racist tendencies or whatever you just can't not in scripture it doesn't fit there mm -hmm. not within the the image of god right um like, like you said you have to see people first mm -hmm. and that starts in genesis 1 the lord said let us create them in our image yeah. um so we can we can dive into all that right uh, yeah. and in probably another episode will will suffice for that but mm. um dude I, I love this uh one last part so you said obviously if it's not a question of politics but the church has this kind of opportunity right now the kingdom of god carrying forth the good news that we have a king uh, who rules 
rightly and justly. Um, but the question is here is how do we how do we meet in the middle? How do we integrate? In a lot of ways, you said, you know, well, I grew up in this white neighborhood, whatever else. So I don't want you to discredit yourself for that. Yeah. Because perhaps you know both worlds. Mm -hmm. So you're actually the perfect person to yeah. talk about this. Yeah. What is something that we can do to integrate communities? Yeah, man. Uh, I know you and I were talking a little bit before. I think one of the things that came to mind was just like, uh, people are often, they often invest and plug in where they're familiar and where they're comfortable. Like that's, I think that's any human being, any, anything you go to a ball game, you're going to see a whole bunch of people wearing the same color with the same symbol because they're familiar with it and they identify with it. They all have a backstory as to why they're there during that time period for that game. Um, and I think it's the same as far as like involvement in the church first. And first let me say like, I don't think that churches that are exclusively white are a bad thing. And I don't mm -hmm. think that churches that are exclusively black are a bad thing because oftentimes churches um, reflect the community in which surrounds yeah. them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Makes all the sense. So, but there are churches that are planted in the middle of very diverse neighborhoods and the churches don't reflect that. Exactly. Um, I mean, Abilene is is a prime example of like there's a there's a lot of different people in Abilene, and our our churches don't reflect like this small town in West Texas. It doesn't reflect it all all the time. So I think um, um, I don't have a lot of authority to speak in this because I've never I've never been a part of churches this way, and I've never from a member standpoint or a staff standpoint. But um, I think I've talked to pastors who have visions of being a part of churches like this and moving churches into these type of directions where uh staff like it all starts with the with the people on staff um if you are a part of a church who's who, who has a, like a multi-ethnic congregation oftentimes that's re that's a reflection of the leadership team like mm -hmm. there's several people from different fa faces of the earth uh with different stories and they've learned to do life together. And there's a lot of sacrifice and uh, getting rid of like ignorance and patience and kindness in the leadership. And then from there, they're just able to, you know, have teachings and uh, it's reflected in their worship and their operation of, of the worship service and different things like that. So people who are able to identify with their portion of that leadership are able to do, rub shoulders with people who are also able to to identify with, with their portion of that leadership. And then you look around, you're doing life with people who don't look like you because of that one linchpin in the, in, in the leadership team. So before you know it, you have a whole bunch of people who wouldn't usually do life together, but that leadership team was called by Christ to look multi-ethnic so that they can disciple a church that is multi-ethnic. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And again, I've never been a part of churches like that, I've, and I've never been on staff at churches like that. But I think that it's, um, I think it's possible. I mean, there's churches all over the country that are like that. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't know if that answers yeah. your, your question. Well, I don't, I, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I yeah, don't know. yeah. It's difficult because yeah. I've been asking a lot about this with Hispanics as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the whole point is not to have a diverse community right, just right, right, for right. the sake of having a diverse community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, the whole I think the whole point of that is that it's reflected that we're actually taking the gospel to the ends of the world. Right. Yeah. Because whenever you're taking the gospel to the ends of the world, and, and the world is too big, right? Whenever you're taking 
the gospel to the ends of your city, mm-hmm. then not everybody in Abilene is mm-hmm. just white, you know, as you would assume by right. entering into the well. But, you know, the other day I stepped out of my house and there was like a, there was an, an Indian lady mm-hmm. walking in front of, yeah. of her house. And I'm like, this is Abilene. Abilene has a Hindu temple. Yeah. Did you know this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two people do not sustain a Hindu temple. Right, yeah. There has to be a community here. Mm-hmm. When you go get your donuts over at AM Donuts, yeah. you know, there's a Buddha there, which means, well, there's... religiously, these people are Buddhists. Right. And chances are they didn't just grow up in Abilene, Texas. They right. probably come from, you know, Cambodia yep. or something yep. like that, or yep. where, you know, population is heavily Buddhist. But yep. so in a lot of ways, what we're really asking is, how do we live lives in which we're open we're walking open-handedly mm-hmm. towards people that perhaps don't look like us. Yeah. And if people, and where do we find people that perhaps don't look like us? Right. In the places where we intentionally don't go to. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that's where we start. Right. Going to the same donut shop. Yeah. You know, time after time after right. time. Yeah, and I think I think you're you're hitting it on the and on the head. And even the way I answered the question was like, how does it look Sunday morning? But exactly. you're right. You're right. Like it's so much bigger than that. Like, and the the question the story in the bible that kept coming to my head was jesus encountering the lady at the well like he went at a time where the other women weren't there like he looked intentional yeah yeah he was very intentional and uh when the disciples came up and saw him talking to her it was like they weren't thinking like oh this is what he does like this is the messiah he's the you know the, the 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 light of the world like they saw the fact that he was a jew talking to a samaritan like and oftentimes we can't we can't get past you know our associations and our politics and different things like that to look beyond and see human pe- human beings but the cool part about that is also he like went and stayed with them for several days which is like you don't do that as a jew but that's what jesus did like he went and he stayed with them so like you're right like yeah finding a cambodian recipe and saying hey like I just want to find a connection with you because you are important mm-hmm. because the God that I serve says you're important and mm-hmm. I want to be a reflection of who he is. Sunday morning is just a reflection of who we are, of who we are <laughs> yeah. in yeah, our homes, absolutely, in our neighborhoods Come on. That's so and stuff true. like that. So, that's so true. Um, if anything, again, it yeah. just starts with us in our homes that's good, man. and that's going to filter into yeah. home. Dude, um, uh, just uh, finishing up over here. Yeah. Do you have any um, resources that you would mm-hmm. you would recommend to us? Yeah, um, there's a pretty prominent uh, website called the Gospel Coalition, and they have like a ton of uh, resources on like racial reconciliation, uh, especially right now. Uh, but there was a conference like two years ago uh, called the MLK Fifty, and uh, there's a whole bunch of guys uh, that that spoke, and I think they have like you can either hear the audio or watch the video on their website if you find it. Um, but people like um, H.B. Charles, Charlie Dates, um, Trip Lee spoke, I believe. Matt Chandler spoke. Um, they all just talked, to, you know, in reflection of MLK and his dream. And then, like, what does it look like to be practically lived out today? And there's some convicting things, like, you know, a lot of stuff that we talked about today. So that's one really good uh, resource. And then another one is a book that I just finished. Um, called Right Color, Wrong Culture. And it's by a guy named Brian uh, Loritz. And it pretty much talks about, like, really, like, what we talked about, like, multi-ethnic churches. And, you know, how, how do you go about that? And it takes it from the perspective of, like, a, a black pastor um, working at a white church. 
for the sake of not just not just for the sake of being diverse, but like to reflect the kingdom of having brothers and sisters who wouldn't usually do life together come together mm. in a way that they can grow and be discipled. Um, and how can a black pastor come in and effectively do that? Um, and it's called right color, wrong culture, because obviously you're the right color because God made you that way. The wrong and it's kind of a play on words, but like wrong culture, meaning you're stepping into a different culture. So how do you navigate that? How does that work? And so mm -hmm. it can just it, it says a lot of good things, because even though it's like more of a pastoral book, it also gives you the perspective of like African-Americans who are a part of predominantly white churches mm -hmm. yeah so um cool yeah those are those are two good resources awesome also uh the well has uh put up a um up in the resource the well resources if you go over to the website you can find a ton of uh just resources that were put there uh gr i think made the list that he preached about this a couple of weeks ago about uh, the passage in the samaritan and yeah the neighbor uh but um, aside from that too if you want a really cool resource, uh, in the Instagram page uh, for the Will College, we put, uh, if you go over to the bio, or bio, right? Is that how you say mm -hmm. it? Okay, never yeah. mind. I was going to like bio. <laughs> never mind. Bio, bio, bio. Uh, there's a little link there. And if you click on it, there's like another link that takes you to a webinar that Western Seminary put together. Okay. And it's led by a black dude, which I love because... Okay. Why learn? Why why learn about this stuff from white dates, right? But, yeah, yeah. Or any other dude, but right. uh, let's learn this from our African Americans, uh, brothers and sisters, right? So, there's a uh, link there uh, from Western Seminary that they put up this webinar. It's free, and then the dude just gives you articles. Really? I mean, it's kind of overwhelming because the yeah. list is just like I'm gonna spend all of twenty, <laughs> yeah. twenty one and two and three and four uh, reading about this, but. There's a list of articles there. There's uh, podcasts okay. that he gives you, and then there's books. Just yeah. lots of resources. Okay. Definitely yeah. more. Uh, but with that said, dude, do you have anything else to say? No, man. Thanks for uh, having me and creating this space for us to have conversation. Absolutely. That's good. Elsie, absolutely love it. Thanks for uh, being here. So um, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope that this episode was um, helpful. If you have any questions or comments or would like to be in the loop about what's going on um, in the summer. Uh, send us an email at the college at the well .com. Uh, You can also find us and follow us on Instagram at the well college. Uh, and there, if you follow the link, you will find out all the things that are going on. And uh, yeah, that's it. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I uh, will see you next time. Bye.